In an era of big box grocery and consolidation in food retail, we still see small neighborhood food stores in some places. They become integral parts of some communities, offering a familiar face and personalized service. In this episode, we look at how one of these stores has carved out a space in a local market in Fergus, Ontario. My name is Mike Von Massow, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. My guest today is Jackie Fraser of Fraybert's Fresh Foods. We talk about what works for them and how they differentiate in the market. She highlights building a relationship and establishing trust with customers. We also talk about some of the challenges of being a smaller player in a big market, economies of scale and access to distribution among them, which is helped by the Ontario Food Terminal. She also talks about the challenge of being of customer losses due to two bridge construction projects in a town divided by a river with only three bridges. Whoever expected to hear the words, a pandemic saved my business because bridges reopened and demand went up. Before we begin, I wanted to say thank you for listening. Our audience continues to grow. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you prefer to go for podcast subscriptions. Many episodes, including this one, are now available on YouTube if you prefer to watch rather than listen. If you are inclined, you can leave us a review as reviews help others find the podcast and will help us continue to grow. I appreciate your support. Now let's get straight to my conversation with Jackie. Well, good morning, Jackie, and thanks for taking the time. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Jackie, tell me a little bit about Fraybert's Fresh Foods. Like it, it's it's a business that I know. Full disclosure, I'm a customer, but uh, but tell us a little bit about what it is and and what you do. Yeah, we're a, a small family-run grocery shop. We focus on local food, as you know, um, and fresh items. My husband's a chef, so uh, and business partner, so he uh, makes ready-made meals and soups, stews, lasagnas, curries in the back. So we have that available front for customers. So it's something that. Uh, they can just pick up, take home, and heat and eat. Along with that, a real claim to fame is our local produce, our local meat, uh, dairy, some specialty items that are made locally, and that's really where we uh, we put our focus. How long have you been around? So we'll be celebrating 13 years in May, which is unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. That's remarkable. In the times where we have sort of Walmart and Costco and these big sort of high-volume, low-price stores, What's the key to success for, as you say, a small family-run business that's been around for 13 years? So it's um, when we first moved to Fergus, we realized there uh, there was no farmers market at the time, and there was nothing. Um, there were no sort of small shops, nowhere. Uh, my I came from a market gardening area where there was always a, you know an abundance of local food available at, at a variety of markets. And my first question was, well, where do people buy their strawberries in June? Because I just do not buy strawberries at Zayers or Walmart or anything like that. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of where it all precipitated. I actually was working in uh, sort of ag communications at the time and had gone on a um, a conference. Uh, it was a farm writers tour, actually. We were just talking to journalism yeah. to, to the county, Prince Edward County, and of course their taste trail was a real was a real pioneer. They're real pioneers in Ontario with promoting local food, and I was really inspired by a lot of the entrepreneurs there. So came up with this sort of idea on the back of a napkin during one of the speakers that we could do something with, with Derek being a chef and, and my passion for local food. I should back up a bit. When I was growing up in this market garden area, um, I worked at a, at a variety of, of those markets. I grew up at a dairy farm. So 
you know, getting up at four thirty in the morning to milk cows. I thought, eh, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a job at the at the market garden down the way. And the next thing I knew, I was getting up at three thirty in the morning to go down to the food terminal to buy produce. So that whole plan transpired. Yeah, <laughs> but. I really fell in love. I fell in love with the food terminal for one thing. I'm not sure how many of your listeners have talked about that. We can talk about that a bit later. It's a place where all the produce that comes in for independent grocers. And it's its own little planet in and of itself. Backtracking, we came up with this business plan, thought we could uh, offer something, local food, ready-made meals. And, you know, thought there was probably a market for that. Now, we knew in Fergus, yes, we have a Walmart, we have a Zayers, we had a, a price chopper at the time. Now it's a fresh cove. So, I mean, we weren't without competition for that kind of thing. But what we wanted to do is provide a different experience. So uh, with me being the farm girl, I could tell customers how the food got to the store. And with Derek being the chef, he could tell them what to do with the food once it left the store. And I always joke, don't get us mixed up because Derek grew up in Timmins and knows nothing about agriculture. And I married a chef for a reason. I've got no business in the kitchen. So uh, (laughs) we we really try to sort of, you know, uh, you know, you're not just coming to get your groceries, you're coming to get information as well. So, uh, so we try to differentiate ourselves a little bit that way. That makes a ton of sense. And it's also what I'm familiar with. But we also have a significant part of the year that we don't have local produce. Yes. And you guys have thrived even in that environment. And I'm guessing part of that is those pre-made meals, but it's also having fresh stuff, even if it's not local stuff. Exactly. And that's, um, you know, it is a slower time for us uh, in the winter because we don't have that same edge that we do with the local produce. But what I do is I try to make sure that I'm bringing in just a little bit better than average produce and bringing in nicer romaine lettuce, nicer green beans, some of those key things that uh, that sometimes are a little flimsy in the off season uh, in the big chains. So yeah, trying to offer a little bit of that um, just extra quality. I always talk about we... Um, we're more like a farm market than a fine food market. There's kind of, there's a bit of a fine line there. We, our customers are very diverse. So we have uh, everything from um, sort of the environmentally, socially conscious, sort of higher average income folks to older clientele that just like the ready-made meals, for example, to people that just live downtown and find it convenient. So, you know, if we were in sort of a bigger center, we could maybe a little fancier, but we try to stay a little true to our roots being being a Fergus and uh, not getting a little too sort of ahead of ourselves. But, um, you know, offering things that they can't get at um, those chains. So we have a full service deli where we slice meat to order instead of the prepackaged kind of slimy stuff and having, you know, nice sandwiches and pizzas to go. So, you know, always finding little ways to differentiate to, you know, complement, you know, when we don't have the local produce. And we have local meat year-round. So that's one thing we kind of always forget about that, uh, you know, obviously there's seasonality with uh, produce, but when it comes to dairy and meat products, um, you know, that's 12 months a year. So. And you do have local dairy. I've seen Sheldon Creek Dairy. And we had Emily on oh, an, earlier, an earlier episode of the yeah. podcast. I know you also have 1847 Flower. Mm-hmm. I've also had a conversation with Melissa because I discovered her flower early yeah. in the pandemic. Uh, Cheryl, uh, my wife, bought it from you. Yes. Uh, and uh, because I've become a bread baker during the pandemic. So <laughs> you do have those local products that aren't as seasonal. The other thing... and. Uh, shameless promotion when that, that that's fine is that local deli where you can can get stuff sliced i have to be low sodium i get custom sausage made where i can still eat a good sausage and and my wife can not give me too hard a time for the yeah. amount of sodium i'm taking in <laughs> so that sort of degree of of individualization and customization i think is probably probably a key too 
Absolutely. And customer service and, and, and being able to serve customers individually has been huge. We recently, well, recently, he's almost been with us for a year now. We hired a store manager who started with us March 18th, which, you know, when we get talking about the pandemic, yeah. I think we <laughs> poor guy, he came from uh, Food Basics. So at least had come, he'd seen sort of the beginning of this insanity happening, uh, but came over to us and, and he just, he's in awe because of course he came from big grocery. He goes, I can't believe how you, you know, cater to individual needs of customers, how you, and I said, well, that's what we're all about. We, I know you, that doesn't happen in those big stores and, 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 and it can't because it's a different scale, but uh, you know, that's what sets us above uh, those, those larger chains is that we can do that, that we're able to do the one-on-one and in the individual things. And that's what we love doing. That's uh, Derek and I are both real people. People We, we like to, to help and, uh, and have those relationships for sure. Well, yeah, and I, you can walk in and ask a question and ask where this is from or ask how to use this and you can get an answer. Exactly. It goes back to that, you know, we sell more than just commodities, we sell information and, and trust. Trust is huge. I have to talk about that element because I think that's become a huge um, factor in our success, both before the pandemic and after. Uh, people, uh, I often get asked questions about organics or GMOs and that kind of thing. And, and coming from the backgrounds, you know, in ag communications where I was having to communicate those sort of complex issues to the masses, being able to have those one-on-one conversations with customers is amazing. So they'll come in saying, well, do you, you know, why isn't everything in it organic? And I'll talk about, you know, I buy my spinach from Paul Collins and I get my tomatoes from Floor Lane and I talk about their production systems and our relationships. And you find that they, like, they're kind of glazing over because I always go too, too far. And uh, they're like, well, that's kind of what I meant. And you realize that a lot of people aren't necessarily looking for labels or whatnot they just want trust they want to know okay if you're feeding this stuff to your family then i'll feed it to mine and and it's uh so building those relationships and building that trust has been huge yeah one of the things i talk about all the time is how little people understand about where their food comes from so they look and latch on to these individual terms that give them confidence and as we have a conversation with people to say this is how food is produced, and this is where your food comes from, and this is why they do these things that they do, people start to say, okay, I understand that. I'm okay with that, and I get why we're doing that. And I think that I've always argued that restaurants can do that because they're having an individual conversation with you at the table, but grocery stores can't. And really, you bring that kind of restaurant experience where you can tell people where it's from and how it's produced to that retail context. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's definitely a key to our success is being able to have those one-on-one conversations for sure. So what are some of the challenges of being a smaller player in the marketplace? Um, well, obviously economies of scale. You just don't have the economies of scale that the big guys do. We don't have access to products at you know lower prices uh, that, that they do. So there's all of those very real challenges. And, you know, we just, uh, in the early days, like I used to try to be a little bit cognizant. I'd make a trip to Zares every now and then and look at pricing. And, and I thought, you know, you know what, we need to set our prices where where we can be profitable. And if we can't be profitable on a certain item, then we just can't sell it. So you, you come yeah. to terms with those kinds of things quickly. Um, you know, we do get customers asked, well, we, why don't you sell cereal? Why don't you sell like certain items that they don't want to go elsewhere to get? And like, because it's just not, it's just not, no point. Now, having said that, in the pandemic, we expanded our product line huge. Um, we're carrying all kinds of things that we did not sell before the pandemic. And it was largely to be that one-stop shop because customers were coming to us because they trusted us. 
they felt safe in our store and we wanted to be able to help them get some other things. So we brought in sort of some run the line milk and we were selling Wellington County garbage bags of all things. Yeah. So just the, we did bring some of those things in just to be helpful. And, and you know, if they move quickly and, and, you know, don't take up too much time or space, then it's, it's okay to have those things on the shelf just to help out our customers. And that's exactly right. The criteria is the fact that it moves, that it turns because you, you have to get return per square foot of shelf space. And uh, if something sells, you'll sell it. If I have to dust it, yeah. never sell it. Yeah. Well, you raised a couple of points. You raised the point about not having access to the big distribution, those economies of scale. And you also talked about the food terminal, which I think is one of the coolest places on the earth. Oh, yeah. I teach a supply chain management course, and I usually take that class to the food terminal and to the Gordon Food Service facility in Milton and show them the differences in distribution and in systems. And the food terminal is is really cool. Do you still buy at the food terminal? I do. So I go about twice a week in the summer. And in the winter, I, I'm able to go kind of every other week. I am able to get delivery from some of the food terminal houses and gamble specifically. So fresh lettuces and things I have to get weekly. I get that, that uh, delivery. In fact, I get that delivery twice a week now. But I still like to go down uh, every other week to get my Ontario apples, my you know carrots, all sort of the hearty stuff that I can get in the farmer's market. And the food terminal is awesome because it is the it is the reason why independent grocers can actually compete for produce because it is a one stop shop. You can go down there, you're getting the wholesale pricing on on produce that the big guys are getting, and it's it without the food terminal, you would lose a lot of independent grocers because we just that is our that is our one opportunity to compete on a level playing field with the big guys. So just to to give people a sense, the food terminal is literally this huge building with. I forget, maybe 10 or 12 permanent vendors. And then outside, undercover, a large area where local farmers can come and sell product. And you can walk around. It opens, as you said, at five in the morning and you can walk through and restaurants go there too and negotiate prices, pick exactly what you want, find the products you like and buy something that you know is local because that farmer drove it down from wherever they are that morning. Absolutely. It's a, it's a 40 acre site in Etobicoke. Uh, and yeah, you, you, the number's about right. There's about 20 indoor vendors that, and that's where you can get both local and imported products. So I can get my lemons at the same time as I'm getting maybe my Ontario strawberries outside. And I think you save with 300 farmers, uh, stalls, uh, in the outdoor market. And it's, yeah, it's a wild and crazy place. Uh, uh tow motors and people driving around and negotiating and, Lots of different languages and uh, colorful language, and yeah. uh, but it's and buying produce is a very visual experience. You can go down there and pick out what you want, get the quality you want. So it's it's a real key to our local food system for sure. What's interesting to me is is in an era where I don't carry cash at all anymore because I'm tapping everything. No one wants yeah. cash. It is a cash place. Absolutely. And, I, and, I and as you say, there's negotiations and and prices change depending on demand. It is economics 101 in action. It, Absolutely. It really is. It totally is economics 101. It's uh, yeah, it's the wild west of and and just yeah, it's it, it's economics at its core. It's supply and demand and it, and. And it's one of those strange places. I'll I'll walk around with five thousand dollars in cash in my pocket, and there's some interesting characters down there. And I don't feel remotely unsafe. I wouldn't walk around with two hundred dollars anywhere else in my pocket, but yeah. all five grand in my pocket wandering around there. And you know, in January, you have to leave your van running. 
heat on so that stuff doesn't freeze as it's getting delivered. Yeah. So you're, you know, leaving your $60,000 van running, walk around five grand in your pocket. Yeah, it's all good. No, everyone understands the rules. And like you say, there are some colorful characters. I Before we move on from the terminal, one of the things, and of course, middle-aged white guy didn't recognize this, but a couple of my students, uh, female students noticed it is a male-dominated place. Oh, yes. It I is am. testosterone heavy. <laughs> Do you notice that when you're shopping there or are you just... You notice it. It's obvious. There's um, the only, like you say, the very few females that are down there are the cashiers in the, in the bigger houses. There's maybe about five of us female buyers down there out of hundreds. So yeah, it's the last bastion of male dominance. And, and I used to work in the sand and gravel business. I've worked in some really male-dominated industries, but that is nothing takes the cake like the food terminal and you know i i always kind of wonder why that is like what why i i don't know um i don't know whether it's because of the hours and you know again the you know the typical it's hard for women to you know like all those guys get to come home after uh, they work there that's an ungodly hour and they have a nap in the afternoon and then you know they get on with their lives well yeah women can't do that <laughs> yeah so uh yeah it is, but that is an interesting observation it's very real do you think you get treated differently as a woman, as a female buyer? And I was going to mention that. I think I've worked it to my advantage. <laughs> um, oh, that's interesting. People get to know you right away. I mean, you, you stand out because you're a female. Yeah. So, you know, you, you get to build relationships maybe quicker. But I, I, I'm treated very well down there. And I, and I, I, I don't, uh, you know, that's okay with me. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Because so, the sugar so, is not dead down there. It's okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, <laughs> That's good. And, and, you know, it's interesting because you say, as you say, you walk around there and there are some interesting guys, yeah. but it's a system that works really well. Yeah. I'd be uh, missing the boat if if I didn't acknowledge that the last year has been a strange one. And you alluded to it a little bit that you've sort of expanded your offering so you could be that one-stop shop for people can feel comfortable coming in. I've been impressed when I've been in with the protocols and those sorts of things. How has COVID changed your business? Yeah, it's unbelievable. So we, um, as you know, went through a couple of challenges with our business in our first 12 years, being in a downtown core with that's on a river with two bridges. We didn't have to go through one, but two bridge replacement projects, yeah. which are devastating to our business. It's amazing how construction can really destroy a retail business. So in 2013, we went through one bridge construction. Five years later, 2018, another one. So we were still kind of recovering from that second bridge. And when news of the pandemic came out, I remember I actually called my mom. I was in tears. I thought, this is it. This will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. I've seen the lineups at Costco. And I'm like, they're not going to come to us. This is it. We're, we're done. We just hired this poor fellow as a store manager. And oh, no. Yeah. This, is what he, you know, this is fails. But he's left a secure job. Like, it was and then all of a sudden, March 13th and onward through it that weekend, we're like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? The lineups, the shelves are being emptied out. I thought, okay, wait a minute. And yeah, so our store manager started there on the 18th and we just pivoted and started stocking and stocking and, and adding different things and, and racing down to the terminal to get more product and trying to, and, and thinking, what is happening here? So as... At the beginning days, it was the you know, ground beef, carrots, potatoes. Everybody was stocking up on their staples, and and so we were you know just rushing to try to keep up with that. Then it was bacon, eggs, yogurt, 
all the breakfast foods because bananas. Oh my God, I could keep bananas on the shelf because all of a sudden everybody's eating breakfast at home because they're working from home. Yeah. Then of course the pandemic baking started. So it was flour and yeast. And so, you know, we just do ratcheting, ratcheting up. Easter was looming and we thought, oh, it'll be a blast because nobody's getting together with family. But people were, you know, we still want small turkeys. They want land, want a hand. People still wanted to do something. And on one day, we were launching our curbsides. So, okay, we, we were already with the third-party delivery agent, thank goodness, Mrs. Grocery. So that part, we went from a handful of orders a week to like dozens a day. So that we were ready to take that on. But then we realized we had a curbside program and people were phoning in their orders. One day, the phone was off the hook for, I don't know, 10 minutes and there was 27 messages. And by the time I listened to those 27 messages, there were seven more messages on there. And <laughs> we like we had PTSD from the phone ringing. <laughs> we just every time rang, we we're like, Ugh. yeah. And you know, we're trying to take people's orders on the phone, and and you know, then they're like, I don't know, Gus, do we have any milk in the fridge? Can you check? And then you know, they can't find their Visa card. Can you go get my purse? And oh, I need my glasses. I can't read the number. And, oh, we can't do curbside orders like this. So we had to, we quickly we just created a web uh, an email address curbside at freebirdsfreshfood.com. Please just email your list to us and we'll look after it. And eventually, over time, we created kind of an online shop for curbside. But that all that took some time. But at the end of the day, um, our, that fiscal year, we were seventy five percent over the year before. Like it was, we almost wow. doubled our sales. It was insane. And so far for this year, January, February, we are one hundred percent over last January, February. So it's just been unbelievable i i say i'm going to write a book how a pandemic saved my business when this is over i i tell people food and plexiglass that's kind of the only businesses you want to be in right now but uh it, it's been phenomenal and you know it, it's been quite good for us and it's interesting because you've developed that relationship as people feel comfortable i would expect that people will stay with you yes and that's obviously what we're hoping for that they'll, they'll continue with us there was a webinar i was part of uh six or eight months ago with the uh, independent grocers, uh, Federation of Independent Grocers, and they had a stat that one in four Canadians changed where they went grocery shopping based on safety, where they felt safe. So that was, they were flocking to stores like ours where they just had that, you know, a little bit more trust, there's a little bit more space, they just felt a little safer. So yeah, we, hopefully we can hold on to, to some of that. It's interesting because uh, we we had a, a research project on right as the pandemic started and had to pivot. We were doing food waste work. We finished our audits on the Friday and lockdown happened on the Sunday. So then doing an intervention and seeing the change, we looked at food waste after the pandemic. But we also interviewed people in about August to ask them how their shopping behavior had changed. And we saw a real spike in the online orders. But then people said, once I felt safe going back, I went back to the store because I like people still like that visceral feel. I mean, you say buying produce is a visual thing. Well, I think it is a visual thing for people buying it for their households, too. Absolutely. And, you know, the grocery industry, we're miles behind other retail as far as online goes. People, you know, have, online has taken over very many retail categories, but grocery still kind of that last place for people. Yeah, it is. It's a visual thing. And, you know, for us, we went from our online sales are still less than 5% of our sales, but they went from 0% to, you know, less than 5%. But no, we, we're the kind of shop we want people to come in. That's that's our whole... That's where you add value. That's where we add value. Exactly. Like it's, you know, we're not meant to be Amazon. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. I learned a lot today. I thank you for taking the time. Before we wrap up, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? No, I think we really covered all the ground. I 
one thing that I, I have found really, um, you know, makes us feel great through this whole experience is we get customers at, at least once a day, if not more, thanking us and actually saying, you know what, you've helped uh, me get through this pandemic. This is the most normal thing I do every week. This is, you know, thank you for giving me a safe place to shop. And customers have noticed Thank you for expanding what you've offered to keep me safe and allow me to shop here. So that's, that's really touching. And I think as a society, we get anything out of this whole experience is that sense of community. And I, I really do feel that over the last year, we really felt that love for community and that want for connection and that kind of thing. So here's hoping that continues on. Yeah, hopefully as we come out, things continue to get better and we remember that empathy that we feel for each other. You got it. Perfect. Thanks so much, Jackie. Thanks, this was great. As we wrap up another episode, I want to take a moment to thank Max Graham. We get to have the interesting discussions and he does the hard work to make us sound good. I also want to thank Zach Von Masso for the original music that we use in the podcast. Check out foodfocusguelph.ca. We have a blog that is updated regularly and our Food Focus trend report as well. You can contact us through the website or at foodfocus at uoguelph.ca if you have any questions or suggestions. We appreciate our audience and your recommendation. It helps us grow. If you are so inclined, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews move us up the ladder and help others find us. That's it for now. Thanks again for listening and stay in touch.